Hi everyone, I just wanted to let you know that this episode has come into existence because one of my most devoted listeners specifically requested it. This is the great French baritone, who eventually, I think, became a bass baritone, Gabriel Paquier, who died two years ago in May, just short of his 96th birthday. At the time of his death, I did a brief memorial tribute, and over the past few months, I've been featuring him numerous times on various episodes. My Puccini en Francais episode, my two Pelias et Mélisande episodes, my Medi Mesplé episode a couple weeks ago, and also just two weeks ago on my Teresa Berganza memorial episode. But this week, he receives full countermelody treatment, if you will. This is all to say that if you like the podcast, please engage with me. I love to hear from my listeners. I'm active on all the social media platforms. These days, I'm trying to spend a little bit more time on Instagram and less time on the other places. But believe me, I'm out there and I really love hearing from all of you. And by the way, if you do want to support the podcast, you can pass on the word to your friends. I'm really doing a big push this summer trying to increase my listenership. Another thing you can do, of course, is rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all those other platforms as well. And I do have a Patreon page if you want to support me there for as little as $2 a month or $25 a year. It's a very busy summer, but I am trying still to post one bonus episode a month. So if that interests you and you have that capability at the moment, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody and you can become a supporter of the podcast. I'd like to thank Greg, who just yesterday became the most recent of my Patreon supporters. Thank you very much, Greg. I hope others will follow your munificent example. And as always, Claudia has been waiting patiently in the wings, so without any further ado, Madame Muzio, please. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. And now, this week's episode. To begin today's episode, let me present to you the young Gabriel Baquier in the role that first brought him to worldwide prominence. Don Giovanni, as performed at the Festival Aix-en-Provence in the summer of 1960. <laughs> 
Listeners might remember that two weeks ago, when I did the memorial tribute to Teresa Berganza, that the role that first brought her to world prominence was also a Mozart role, Dorabella, also performed three years earlier at Aix-en-Provence. Bacquier remarked in an interview that in those days, at Aix, they were willing to take chances on as yet relatively untested talent. And certainly in both of those examples their calculated risk paid off. In fact, X would remain a place where Bacquier often tried out his roles for the first time, from Golot to Don Pasquale to others as well. The young lyric baritone Gabriel Bacquier was also very devoted to the genres of both melodie and operetta, which remained important throughout his career, and yet with which perhaps even fans might be less familiar. So I'll be balancing all three genres today, opera, operetta, and melodie. For starters, from 1962, here is his recording of Henri Duparc's song Chanson Triste, set to a text of Jean Lahore. This recording is with Jean Laforge at the piano, and it was recorded in 1962. A gentle summer moonlight slumbers in your heart, and to escape the cares of life I shall drown myself in your light. I shall forget past sorrows, my love, when you cradle my sad heart and your thoughts in the loving calm of your arms. You will rest my poor head sometimes on your lap, and recite a ballad that will seem to speak of us. And from your eyes full of sorrow, from those eyes I shall drink so many kisses and so much love that perhaps I shall be healed. Je me noirai dans ta clarté. 
Let us count the ways in which that was an extraordinary performance. First of all, I think it's completely clear how dedicated Gabriel Paquet always was to conveying with pinpoint clarity the text and the meaning of the words. In this early phase of his career, his voice was one of unbelievable beauty that didn't always have supreme ease on the top, but he always had access to a beautiful head voice, which, again, might surprise some of those who only know his later recordings. As a focal point for this episode, let me quote two statements that I heard Baquet make in an interview. First of all, was that he was not a singing actor, he was an acting singer, and he was quite insistent about the acting being the primary designation of his artistry. Second of all, he said that early in his training, he was told that he needed to balance two elements, clair et rond, clear and round, the clarity of the text, the roundness of the vowel, but never at the expense of the word. And I think we just heard that quite prominently on display. Gabriel Augustin Raymond Théodore Louis Baquier was born on the 17th of May, 1924, in Béziers, France, not all that far from where Médi Mesplay was born. His parents worked for the railway, and his father collected records and photographs of opera singers, which in turn fascinated young Gabriel. He began as a teenager taking voice lessons from a woman, don't laugh, named Madame Bastard. Yes, spelled like you think it is spelled. And in fact, made his debut in opera during the war years in a performance of Gounod's Mireille. After the war, he received a scholarship to go to the conservatory in Paris, from which he graduated in 1950. 
One of Paquet's teachers was the French soprano Yvonne Gall, whose husband, by the way, was the conductor and composer Henri Busset. I have a very brief example of Yvonne Gall singing. She recorded in 1911, I believe it was, she sang the role of Juliette in the first complete recording of Gounod's Romeo et Juliette. But she went on to sing heavier roles as well, including... I read Isolde, which was a little surprising for me. Anyway, this is a recording from 1928 of the once very popular Berceuse from the opera Jocelyn by Benjamin Godard. On ne te veille pas encore. was still earning his diploma at the conservatory. He also began to do roles at the Opéra de Nice, and following his graduation, he joined the company of José Beckmans, and following that, he sang at the Monet in Brussels from 1953 through 56. While engaged at the Monet, Gabriel Paquier made his very first commercial recording that was of a French-language version of The Desert Song by Sigmund Romberg, or Le Chant du Désert. This is the title song known in French as Je ne veux que son amour. Here he is with all the vocal lushness and beauty that he could bring to bear at the age of 28. But even then... It's all about the words. What I love about this recording is that he really makes Sigmund Romberg sound like a French operetta. Oh, 
has also stated how important operetta was for his formation as an actor. He said that having to go from speech into song on the lyric stage helped form him into the great actor that he became. Another source of inspiration for him during this period was going to the movies and watching screen actors and how they created a maximum effect with a minimum of gesture and movement. While Baquet was at the Monet, he sang in Les Peugeots de Perle, the Pearl Fishers, with the Corsican soprano Marta Angelici, whom we heard a few short weeks ago in the Puccini en Francais episode. A gorgeous voice. Her husband was the director of the Opéra Comique in Paris. She was impressed with her young colleague and suggested that he audition for her husband at the Opéra Comique. And he was accepted, and he made his debut there in 1956. Now, I just mentioned Pearl Fishers. Let's listen to a live 1959 recording of the ever-popular duet Au fond du Temple Saint. This is one of the most understated and French-sounding versions of this gorgeous duet. And Baquet is joined here by the sublime tenor Alain Vanzot, whom we've also heard a few times recently on the Puccini en Francais episode and on the Medi Mesplay episode. So if you like him, go back and listen to more of him there. But for the time being, here is a portion of that gorgeous duet from Pearl Fishers. Oh, oh, oh. 
We're going to take a quick peek at some of Paquier's most important early operatic roles. We already heard a little bit of the Giovanni at the very top of the episode. Later on, of course, Bacchier became a celebrated Leporello. He recorded both roles commercially, but alas, in his complete recording of the title role, his Terlina was, let's just say, inappropriately cast and charmless. But we do have an alternative, a 1966 recording from the Teatro Colón of Bacchier singing La Cidarem La Mano. The reason I chose this recording is because it features as Zerlina, the German soubrette Renate Holm, who died this past April at the age of 90. She was particularly celebrated for her Mozart roles and for her operetta parts, including in particular Adele in Fledermaus. Thank you. 
interview that I found with him, Paquet stated that he was never willing to take on a role if he could not find the dramatic truth of the character and find a way of bringing it to life through his own artistic personality. One of his supreme successes was the role of Scarpia, which he sang with every important Tosca of that era, except for Callas, who always preferred to do it with Tito Gobbi. In that Puccini en Francais episode a few weeks back, we heard an excerpt from a complete recording of Tosca that Baquier made with the French mezzo-slash-soprano Jeanne Rode, with Manuel Rosenthal conducting. And here's an excerpt, again from this French-language Tosca, of Baquier singing the snippet which begins in Italian with the words A più forte sapore la conquista violente, in which he describes how he just loves violent sex. La conquête brutale des sabres plus vives que la corbe des vols. Sous-sopétive, soupir des cœurs un clair de l'unique, les yeux bizarres. Je sais mal, ainsi de la guitare, faire parler les fleurs. Another Mozart role, which was a success for Bacchier throughout more than 20 years of his career, was the Count in Nozze di Figaro. Again, in an interview that I listened to with him, he described how he played the Count, who is ridiculous in so many ways. He played him dead serious, but his very ridiculousness made him a more violent character, and one whose contrition, at the end, is that much more deeply felt. From the beginning of the third act, I'm going to play you the duet where the Count attempts to make an assignation with Susanna. This performance was from Glindborn in the summer of 1962, and we hear the absolutely delectable Susanna of the late Mirella Freni. Oh, my God. 
Bacchier also sang a number of Verdi roles, but at the beginning of his career, he sang more Germans and Rigolettos than he did Falstaffs or Iagos, which were roles in which he became particularly celebrated later on in his career. But from a 1963 studio recording of French and Italian opera arias, we're going to hear the insidious moment in Act Two of Otello where Iago stokes Otello's jealousy by telling him a lie about having overheard Cassio speaking in his sleep about his love for Desdemona. The conductor here is Jesus Echeverry, who was another one of those matchless French maestri, including Manuel Rosenthal, whom we just heard conducting that Pearl Fisher's excerpt, Roger Desornières, and Désiré Émile Ingelbrecht, the latter two of whom we heard on my recent episodes devoted to Pelleas et Mélisande. Oh, oh. 
Gabriel Baquet did not do much contemporary opera, but he did do some. In 1963, he and Mehdi Mesplé were in the world premiere of a shared production of Giancarlo Menotti's opera, The Last Savage, or as it was sung at the Opéra, Le Dernier Sauvage. I don't believe there's any recorded material from that, and I am quite certain that the sexual and racial politics of this imperialist piece would not sit very well with today's audiences. But I do have, from a few years earlier, a studio recording of a cantata by Darius Millot to a text by André Gide called Le Retour de l'Enfant Prodigue, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And I have just two very brief excerpts from this 45-50 minute long cantata in which Gabriel Paquet, portraying the father, is in the first moment receiving his son, who is portrayed by the baritone Bernard de Mimi, and in the second excerpt, which follows seamlessly on the first one, the son describes the hard life that he has had while away from home, and the father responds with enormous empathy, but tells him that his older brother has dictated that if he ever were to return, he should be cast out from the family home. Oh, 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 oh,
sommet de te dire Pour la maison, point de salut pour toi Mais écoute, c'est moi qui t'ai formé Ce qui est en toi Je le sais, je sais ce qui t'a poussé sur les routes Je t'attendais au bout We heard that lovely excerpt from The Desert Song earlier. Now I'm going to play you two different operetta excerpts that were made just a few years later in the years 1958 and 1959. The first is from a French operetta called Ciboulette by Rinaldo Anne. These days we mostly remember Rinaldo Anne for his songs, but he also wrote a number of very successful operettas, including one called Mozart and this one Ciboulette, as well as an operatic setting of The Merchant of Venice. This is the air du mouchoir, the air of the handkerchief. C'est tout ce qui me reste d'elle. This is all that is left of her for me now. C'est tout ce qui me reste d'elle. Ce petit mouchoir sans parfum. Mais c'est tout mon bonheur défunt, ce petit mouchoir en Petite relique fidèle de passé jamais important, vous feriez sourire plus C'est tout ce qui me reste around the same period in which that recording was made, is an excerpt from Franz Lehár's Paganini. Gabriel Baquet went on the record as stating that he never had the slightest interest in singing German repertoire, 
although David and I were just talking about it the other night, and we both agreed that he probably would have been a marvelous Baron Ochs in Rosenkavalier if he had had the inclination. But he did not. The closest he ever came to singing anything in German was in some French language versions of some Viennese operettas. This Lehar is a particularly delicious example. This is the aria known in the original German as Gern hab ich die Frauen geküsst. But of course, Bacquier sings it in French, and here we have J'avais cru qu'un baiser, which is a much less creepy text than the original German, if I do say so myself. <laughs> beginning of the episode, we heard Gabriel Baquet singing so beautifully that Henri Duparc song, and I want to offer you a few more Baquet melody performances. The first is of the song Automne, set by Gabriel Fauré to a poem of Armand Silvestre. The pianist here is Jean Laforge. Autumn of the misty skies and the heartbreaking horizons, of swift horizons and pale dawns, I watch your days, tinged with melancholy, flow by like torrential waters. My thoughts, borne away on the wings of regret, roam in reverie the enchanted hills where once long ago my youth smiled. In the bright sunlight of triumphant memory, I feel the scattered roses reblooming in bouquets, and tears well up in my eyes, tears which my heart, at the age of twenty, 
had already forgotten. Francis Poulenc always figured quite prominently in the repertoire, both operatic and song, of Gabriel Baquier. He frequently sang in performances of Dialogue des Carmelites and had a wide array of Poulenc melodies that he would also feature on his concerts. Today we're going to hear Le Disparu, a setting of a poem by Robert Dinot who was a member of the French resistance, arrested by the Nazis, who died in Theresienstadt of typhoid a month before the camp was liberated. This poem, Le Disparu, The Man Who Disappeared, which laments the disappearance of a fictional friend, almost foreshadows Dino's own disappearance shortly after it was written. To outward appearances, the mood is joyous, set as it is to a quicksilver waltz, and yet it becomes clear that this is anything but ease and more like increasing desperation and panic. I don't like the Rue Saint-Martin anymore since my friend André Platard left. He was my friend, he was my buddy, and he disappeared one morning, and nobody knows where he went. There's certainly no point in asking the saints where he is, Time passes, we know nothing. André Platard has left the Rue Saint-Martin. This is a 1967 recording which features Jacques Février, a frequent collaborator and colleague of Francis Poulenc, accompanying on the piano. Mm -hmm. 
very much like Gabriel Paquier's performance of Claude Debussy's song Chevaux de Bois, which depicts a carousel in the midst of a park and describes the people milling around, the child and its mother, the pickpocket, and eventually the camera, or rather the poet's eye, pans back as the evening sets and all of the revelers leave to go home to their evening supper. The sky turns velvet and is clothed in golden stars, while the church bell tolls sadly and the merry-go-round continues to twirl. Once again, the pianist here is Jean Laforge. The recording's from 1962. Tournez, tournez, bon chevaux de bois, tournez sans tour, tournez mille tours, Et tournez toujours, tournez, tournez au son du bois. L'enfant tout rouge et la mère blanche, le gars en noir et la fille en rose, l'une à la chose et l'autre à la pose, chacun se fait un soute dimanche. Tournez, tournez, chevaux de leur cœur, tandis qu'autour de tous vos tournois clignote l'œil du filou sournois, tournez au son du piston vainqueur. Comme ça vous saoule d'aller ainsi dans ce cirque bête Rien dans le ventre et mal dans la tête Du bas en masse et du bien en foule Tournez, tada, sans qu'il soit besoin D'user jamais de nuls éperons Pour commander à vos galerons Tournez, tournez, sans espoir de foin Et dépêchez chevaux de leur âme Déjà voici que sonne à la soupe La nuit qui tombe et chasse la troupe De gai buveurs que leur soif affame Tourne, 
Tournez au son joyeux des tambours Now, in my Peleas et Mélisande episodes, I featured Paquet in his almost matchless portrayal of Golot, Peleas's older half-brother. Again, in that documentary that I watched, Baquier said that when he was first asked to portray Golot, he could not find his way into the character and he steadfastly refused. But he eventually was coerced. And thank goodness that he was, because, as I say, his portrayal of this conflicted character is so powerful and so moving. On that documentary, I found just a very brief excerpt of his very first Golo in 1968 at, again, the festival at Aix-en-Provence. I'm just going to play you a very, very brief portion, because that's all that was there, of the scene where Golo racked by jealousy, takes out his rage physically on Mélisande. It's an excruciating scene, and Bacquier is nearly unbearable in it. Le grand innocence, écoutez, j'en suis si près que je sens la fraîcheur de leur cils quand ils clignent. As this episode winds down, I'm going to offer you two excerpts from an extraordinary live performance that took place in Paris on the 26th of March, 1966, and thank goodness was filmed for posterity. The first is the second song of Maurice Ravel's Don Quixote à Ducine cycle. This is the chanson épique where Don Quixote prays to the saints Saint Michael and Saint George to bless his sword that he may serve his lady Ducine, who bears such a strong resemblance to the Madonna herself robed in blue. We hear the Orchestre National of Radio France conducted by Jacques Outman.
I'd like to now offer you what I think is one of Gabriel Paquier's supreme performances, that is of Orphée in Gluck's Orphée et Eurydice, the French version of Orfeo, which sometimes is portrayed by a baritone. I can't even get into the tortured history of this opera at this point in time. Maybe at some other point I'll do a Gluck episode and we can talk more about it. Just suffice it to say that there are about six or seven different versions out there in at least two different languages. This is, of course, the climactic moment when Orphée has turned around and looked at Eurydice after bringing her back from the underworld. He has been told not to do so or she will once again die. He can't resist. He looks at her. She dies. And this is his response.
Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for your support. Thanks for everything. If you liked this episode, please let me know because I'd love very much to present you at least another episode on the later career of Gabriel Baquier. I mentioned at the very beginning, we think of him more as a bass baritone now based on the roles that he took on later in life. He took on a lot of buffo parts because he was such a masterful actor. He did them magnificent justice, and he always played them with an eye toward the seriousness of the character, which was a very effective way to play comedy, if you ask me. So I hope in the very near future to be able to present that aspect and that time period of Gabriel Baquier's career to you as well. For now, to see us off and in as exquisite a manner as imaginable. Here is an excerpt from a French operetta called Valse de Vienne that was arranged and adapted from the music of Johann Strauss, both father and son. It's a beautifully French concoction, and the title of this little song is called Adieu Musique, Farewell to Music. In it, we hear Gabriel Baquier and a French operetta soprano named Janine Herville. This recording's from 1958, and I think it will take us away in a cloud of ethereal beauty. song in our hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.